Hey listeners, welcome to the Intelligent Conversations, where we believe that everyone has a form of intelligence that resides within them. We invite guests from various backgrounds to share with you what makes them unique. Our hope is that you and I can learn and grow together. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Intelligent Conversations podcast. Today I have the honor to learn from Oak Mountain. Oak is a philosopher, author, and public speaker. He is on a mission to empower individuals to activate the power of their speech and apply it for the betterment of their lives. So, Oak, thank you for coming on today. I, I'm looking forward to it. I think you're way more qualified than I am, so I'm eager to learn from you. But I like to start with this question, and it is, what kind of drove you to this mission of empowering individuals to activate the power of their speech and apply it for the betterment of their lives? What kind of got you started down that path? Beautiful. It's great to be here, Josh. Thanks so much for having me. It's a wonderful question. Um, it's definitely a personal question. I found myself this summer at my 29th birthday asking myself, if I were to continue living on the trajectory that I am right now, would I be satisfied with the legacy that I would leave behind? And the answer was a resounding no. <laughs> okay. So I need to do something about this. What can I do? And I thought about starting a podcast similar to your own. I thought about starting different businesses. I really thought, okay, foundationally, the thing that I can do that will maybe provide a little bit of credibility and a window into the lessons I've learned is to write a book. Mm. And so in reflecting on the topics that I might offer, I thought, what would be widely applicable and something that I feel deeply passionate about. And immediately language came to mind. Well, why language? Why is it so immediately applicable? Well, we are swimming in a sea of language all mm -hmm. the time, right? We've got text messages, voice messages, media on the TV, radio, conversations with friends, the conversations we have with ourselves. Like It is everywhere. And the quality of that language, the quality of the communication that is made up by that language varies greatly. And I know for myself that when that quality is diminished or it is impacted by emotional or mental circumstances, that the quality of my relationships and the quality of my life is necessarily impacted as well. And I've seen this to be true for other people in my life, in their lives. And I thought, okay, well, what have I learned about language? What have I come to know that has had me receiving the feedback that I have, you know, oh, you're very articulate. Oh, you said that really well. I really understood what you had to say. I get these little nuggets, which not to put myself on a pedestal, still very human, but it was an anchor point and a signpost directing me. Okay. I have something that people are recognizing is valuable. Mm -hmm. Can I codify that into a piece of work and then offer that forward so that other people might benefit from the lessons I've learned. So that's how I found myself here today. Wow. That's, that's awesome. So kind of, I guess more on the story end of things, was there like a particular moment or was it kind of like a process of, Hey, maybe I should study this language more. Or was there like a particular moment where you're like, Hey, I need to kind of do a 360 or start to look at things differently. It's a good question. I've always had a proclivity for language and sound. Um, I've, been studying music and playing music for 15 years. You know, growing up, my parents described me as a parrot because I was able to remember, retain, and recite 
movie lines, song lyrics, like word for word. And there was just something about language that really made sense for my, my brain from a natural point of view. And right now I speak three languages, English, French, and Spanish, and I've studied different languages in university. There was always just something about it that drew me to it. And I think there wasn't one particular pivotal point that made me reevaluate, but there were a series of mm-hmm. events say through the dissolution of romantic relationships where I reflected on my own communication skills, my own failures, to be totally honest, and went, okay, that didn't work Mm -hmm. at all. Why? (laughs) What was missing? What could I have done differently? And the impetus for that questioning was, of course, that personal pain, right? Mm -hmm. Recognizing that my own actions has led to, have led to, quality of my own suffering and that those actions were explicitly around communication. So that was, I would love to say that it would only happened once, <laughs> but it definitely happened more than once. And this has been a lifelong journey for me. And, and so, yeah, that, that's a big piece of it, the dissolution of personal relationships. And I think that journey is going to continue as well, right? Like you're going to have more moments where you learn from them and then become even a better communicator and become, because that's, ultimately, right, me and you are sitting here having a conversation. And that is how we uh, convey ideas that are stuck in this head up here. Right? Oftentimes, we get so stuck in our head, like, I just wish they understood me, right? And I guess that's kind of the question I want to ask is, I feel like a lot of people, especially in today's climate, they're like, ah, if they just understood, right? And there's like, I think maybe just a lack of communication, maybe one cause, but I'm curious to hear what are your thoughts on that? That's so potent. And I think so common if they only understood for myself and for the people that I work with, my, my clients and the people that I facilitate mm-hmm. these workshops with, I always bring it back to what are my responsibilities when I'm communicating and what are the responsibilities of the person I'm communicating with? And so it is not your responsibility to make sure that they understand you, right? You can't really control that, but you can do everything within your power to maximize the probability of being understood. Mm -hmm. And we do that through increasing the truth inside of what we're saying and increasing the precision of our words, right? So that's, those are two really big pieces. Um, The delivery is also an element. We can maybe touch on all three of these and being able to deliver it in a loving and compassionate way. Those three are actually the heart of the book, the Mm -hmm. qualities of sovereign speech. And so, you know, if they only understood me, why aren't they understanding me? Well, sometimes it's because we aren't being clear enough. We're not being truthful enough. We're not articulating. We're We could be doing better in transforming our thoughts into language for another person to understand. Mm -hmm. That happens. It might also be the case that the person who is receiving your words is not actually receiving your words. Rather, they're listening to the internal mental narrative that is arising in response to what you're saying. And if that's the case, they're not actually listening to you. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing you can do to teach someone in the moment how to be a better listener while you're having a conversation with them. What I endeavor to do is to demonstrate what listening actually is. And you can do that through different practices like reflective listening or mirrored listening. 
And hopefully when someone is exposed to these types of methods, it becomes immediately apparent what listening actually feels like compared to what they think listening might be. Hmm. And in those moments, we can take that in and maximize the quality of our speech that we're giving to somebody else and maximize the quality of our capacity to listen. Because the better listeners we are, the more likely we are to understand somebody's experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, a hundred percent. It reminded me um, when you talked about how we deliver the message and deliver it to another, like what you're talking about uh, clearly to another person. It reminded me when I was in school, like in high school, I, I was that kid that always would go at the teachers. I was a jerk, right? And they'd always, of course, send an email to my parents. And then what ended up happening is my parents would be like, oh my gosh, like you just, why did you say that? I'm like, well, it was true. And they're like, yeah, but you could have delivered it in a more compassionate way. I was really drawn to when you said that compassionate way. And my mother, oh, she drilled it in me. She's like, even if it's true, you can always say it in a kinder way. And I'm like, I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. But it's now like hit me like, hey, I can actually say what I think is on my mind. Like, hey, I don't think what you're doing here is in your best interest. Whereas just saying, hey, that's stupid. It doesn't help them and it doesn't help you. Whereas if you say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Then you get their message across. And then you also are able to learn and give them a chance to kind of convey their message to you. So that's, I don't know, a couple of thoughts there that you can kind of toy around with. I'm sure you can <laughs> tear me apart. Oh, goodness. I think what you're driving at with that example that you shared is how we can demonstrate our value of the other person's perspective in our expression. That's a really key piece. Yeah. It's like if I'm speaking to someone and they feel like I genuinely care I'm genuinely invested. I want to know about what's true for them and that I'm not sitting here judging or coming up with my own stories. Mm -hmm. Their willingness to open themselves, not only to share more of what's true for them, but also to receive what's true about what I'm saying is going to be increased. And that's, you know, you say this is something that you were doing in school and, and something that you're still learning. It's like, Man, me too. Man, me too. This is definitely one of the biggest lessons in my life is because I've been so drawn towards truth, I've had this magnetism towards learning, this magnetism towards discovery, that I've always placed truth high up in my value hierarchy. And in the past, it has been to the detriment of compassionate expression. It's like, I would rather say what's true than something nice. It's like, well, okay, fine. That's great. Truth is valuable. It's one of the most valuable things we have. But can we, as individuals, and this is something I've asked myself, weave in a level of artistry, a level of mastery that allows for our heart to be present while we're expressing truth. And this steps a little bit beyond the realm of, say, broadening our vocabulary, learning to be articulate, how to enunciate, you know, the actual mechanics mm -hmm. of speech and moves more into how do we relate to ourselves 
And how are we relating to our felt sense of being while we're in conversation? Because as we're talking here, obviously there's thoughts that are coming up for you. Maybe mm -hmm. feelings are arising with those thoughts as well. There's a rich inner experience, just like there is for all the listeners right now as, as well. When that's the case, when we're in conversation, it is a balance of being able to weigh our inner experience. If we're genuinely invested with the other person, weigh our inner experience, not against, but with the inner experience of the other person and saying, okay, I know that right now, let's, let's take a more emotional example, because this is usually when compassion drops, mm -hmm. if we're feeling really heated, but okay, I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling pissed off about something that happened. Am I going to speak as that emotion or am I going to speak of that emotion? And when we speak of the emotion, we're sitting and saying, I take accountability for the truth of my experience and for articulating it in a way that acknowledges that accountability. Because immediately when that happens, I'm sure you've had this before, Josh, mm -hmm. where someone goes, you made me feel this way. You made me feel that way. And you're like, oh, God, I don't need to hear any of this. <laughs> Even if it was true that you did something that hurt them, mm -hmm. right? Our receptivity is immediately closed off. But if someone said, hey, Josh, you know, when you said that to me earlier, I just really felt like you didn't respect my point, like you weren't present with me and that you didn't really care about what I had to say. You'd be like, oh, dang, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I didn't intend to do that, right? You immediately you hear them take accountability for it, right? Well, what underlies that capacity to take accountability and therefore underlies our capacity to influence and increase compassion in our speech is a depth of inner knowing. Hmm. So just like we were talking about, how do we listen better with other people by sort of weighing their expression as equal to what we have going on in our own, so too we can turn that practice of listening inside in moments where we're not in conversation so that we can strengthen our awareness of the nature of our emotions and the nature of our mind. It's like you imagine what would it be like if you treated yourself like someone that you were interested in having a conversation with, someone that you were curious about learning about? Okay, well, you would approach that inner dialogue with the level of spaciousness, probably like you do with these podcast, you go, okay, this person knows something I don't know. I'm going to take a backseat and I'm going to allow their light to shine. Same thing we can do for ourselves. And when we do this alone, then future moments where we are in dialogue and an emotion arises, we have this practice to fall back on to go, oh yeah, I know how to identify what's true in my experience. And I'm practiced in labeling it from a place of accountability, i.e. using I statements, I feel, I think, I experience, etc. I think you're right on it. So a lot of thoughts are in my mind right now. And especially that inner thought and kind of taking time for yourself to have a conversation with yourself and ask those questions that, hey, you might not know the answer to. Because oftentimes we want a quick answer, right? But sometimes just peacefully just listening to yourself can generate an answer that that you never even thought of or you get a thought and you're like huh I never thought of it this way before and you keep you keep saying true like to find what's true and I think that's ultimately what we're all trying to do right so I, I want to ask this in a world that's chaotic I guess you could say 
How do we find truth? That's a powerful question. And just as you ask me that, there's a hummingbird that appears outside my window. So that seems very wow. natural. <laughs> That's poetry right there. How do we find truth? As far as I understand it, the most true element of our experience is rooted in the present moment. And so in any experience that we are attempting to uncover for ourselves, a deep and enduring relationship with the present awareness, this is the present awareness of our body, present awareness of our mind, thoughts, things like this, of our focus, and also of the environment we find ourselves in, that's going to be our gateway to encountering truth. And it's not to say that we'll find it in the mind or that we'll find it in a sensation, but rather those are like tethers back to the moment. Mm -hmm. And if we're talking about truth of our own experience, you already touched on uh, a little bit about that inner sort of revelation that can take place when we're listening, when we're going, okay, I'm, I'm just going to shut up my mind for a minute and discover with curiosity, something that's genuinely true in my heart. And like you mentioned, you might be surprised, but if we're speaking about say truth in a more broad sense, truth between people, truth of a given scenario, say an event, this starts to expand out in layers of complexity. It becomes more and more difficult to discern an absolute and universal truth. However, I would endeavor to say this, all truth, as I mentioned, is rooted in the present moment, and it's also rooted in reality. This is where we have the greatest experience. We go, well, what is reality? Go, okay. The natural world, that which can be experienced and encountered through our senses, all of them. I like to give an example of how a truth, something that is genuinely true, can begin to become distorted. So let's say... You and I, we go out for coffee on 4th and Main on a Saturday at 4 p.m. And it happens. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's true. Our bodies that make up what Josh is and what Oak is, we're at this location at this time on this day. No story, right? Mm -hmm. Just a series of physical truths. Now, if someone sees us and goes, oh, those guys are kind of weird looking. Okay, well, now we've got someone's perspective that is woven in a judgment and started to generate a unique truth to their perspective that is sort of auxiliary. It's, it's ancillary. It is, it is not actually rooted in the physical moment of what happened. It's mentally generated. And the gap between those two is where we start to encounter a great deal of distortion and dissonance. And we see this through media, we see this through social media and all of these different avenues of storytelling that we encounter. We have the actual thing that happened and then the perspectives, the opinions and all of these things that take the facts and start to shape and distort them into something else and are passed off as equally true as that factual moment. So for myself, when I encounter, as we all do, a number of different narratives across all these different media platforms, I remind myself that I cannot know the core truth of what happened unless I was there. And so everything that I encounter then is going to be a narrative with some degree of bias, with some degree of distortion, and it's my job 
to recognize that and to interpret the story with that in mind? I think, man, there, there's a lot to digest from that. And, but one of my thoughts that comes up is, so just to make sure I understand when we're physically in a place, like you mentioned the coffee going, for, which by the way, I'd love to do if I'm ever around, you're in Canada. So that's a bit far from where I am, <laughs> but I'd love to do it. And we're physically there though, right? We have a physical presence there and we can't dispute that it's, it's happening. Right. But then when someone observes, let's say those people having coffee, there is their thoughts, right? Start to generate their own judgments, their own observations about what's going on right in front of them. And that is when you start what you said, distorting the truth of what you think is actually happening. Am I getting that correctly? Am I hitting it on the dot there? hundred percent, Josh, hundred percent. I will say too, I'm actually located in Mexico right now. So if you want to come down for a, a bit of a tropical visit, you know, you're welcome to, I'm in Puerto Vallarta. Um, but like what you're saying is, is absolutely right. And we can draw our focus in a little bit more to that because what we're recognizing is that the distortion is introduced when language is introduced mm. and we actually get farther away from the lived truth when we start to put it into language. And this I touch on in, in the book, which I haven't mentioned is called what in the word uncovering the art of speech and the power of language actually just was published on Sunday here, January 8th, where because of the nature of our phonetic and alphabetic language in English, we actually place our minds at a greater distance to the lived reality when we focus our attention or seek truth inside of language, right? So let's, let's look with this coffee example. Even if someone sat there and said, those two men are drinking coffee in their mind, this is the thought they have, right? Mm -hmm. If I wrote out that sentence, no part of this sentence is you or I or the coffee shop or the experience that we had lived experience, mm -hmm. right? Rather, it's a set of symbols referent to sounds that the human mouth can make that we have collectively agreed carry meaning. Exactly. Okay. Well, where does this meaning come from? This meaning comes directly and I touch on this in, in the third chapter of the book, directly from the living world itself. And yet, so much of our language now as English is completely divorced from the living world. We don't have words that are embedded in our living environment or informed by our living environment. Rather, we're working with almost exclusively symbolic ideas. And when something is a symbol, the very nature of a symbol is that it's not the thing that it represents. It's a signpost. It's <laughs> very clearly not the same thing. And language is exactly this. It's directly symbolic. And so immediately, if we're thinking about an event, we've distanced ourselves from that truth. And you can imagine now the level of interpretation and narrativization that can take place that flows forth 
from someone's belief structure, from someone's history, from someone's preferences, will now introduce new symbolic ideas on top of the genuine perception, which was just them seeing us having coffee. And by the time they get home and tell their husband or wife about what happened, it is so far removed from the actual truth of the event that it might as well be a separate story. But unfortunately, that is the mechanism by which we transfer information almost exclusively. Obviously, there's body language and there's other things, but mm -hmm. we rely so heavily on this handicapped method, this method that is necessarily devoid and detached in some ways from the meaning granting field of life. It's no wonder we are stuck in an information age wrought with misinformation and false narratives and all of this confusion about what truth is it's because we've actually disconnected ourselves culturally from the source of meaning itself which is the natural world hmm. that is that is an interesting thought i so i think you're right on where as you start thinking and yes that let me take a couple steps back how we talk is that directly from our mind right it's what thoughts are coming to us and what we're putting out there. And like you said, when one of us goes home, we tell that story to someone else, what ends up happening is it's far removed from what actually physically in that present moment happened. So you said method, I guess the question that is in the back of my mind is what's the alternative? Like what would the alternative method look like? Oh God, I wish there was a, an alternative, you know, if we are looking at it from the perspective of being English speakers, mm -hmm. right? Because we do have an alternative. We could go and learn indigenous languages. We could learn languages that are more deeply informed by the living world and communicate that way. Okay, there's an option. If we're going to stick with English, then sort of like what we touched on earlier, we have to recognize all of these shortcomings up front, really familiarize ourselves with the ways that language takes us on tangents away from the truth and start to ameliorate our expression and our capacity of listening in order to minimize. We can never completely eliminate, but minimize distortion and minimize the opportunity for misunderstanding. And the ways that I have found to be the most effective in terms of expression are by maximizing truthfulness in our speech. So eliminating lies, eliminating intentional distortions or holding back of facts mm -hmm. to maximize compassion, which is to allow oneself to feel another person's experience and to take that into account when generating a level of expression and response and to maximize precision. The reason why precision is so important is because it increases the resolution that we're offering for. Imagine like Obviously, we're talking about sound, but mm -hmm. if we imagine our sentences as pictures, right? Because sometimes they end up as pictures in our minds. We increase the resolution when we increase precision. And I, I can give an example of this. Let's say I say, hey, Josh, can you get that pot for me? You're going to go, grab it. what pot? Oh, yeah. Where is it? How big is it? What does it look like? When do you need it by? Where should I put it? Mm -hmm. Right? There's all of this ambiguity in what I said, there's this lack of clarity. And when we are not 
speaking as precisely as we might be able to, we are relying on the other person, the listener, to do mental labor and solve the problem of what we're saying. And as soon as we introduce mental labor and introduce more thought, more language, now we've actually increased the chances of being misunderstood because we haven't, we haven't hit the mark. Like precision is like aim. Exactly. Really, if we think about it, if we think, think of ourselves as archers, perhaps trying to deliver a message on an arrow of speech to improve our aim is to increase the truth value in what we're saying by making sure that we're saying what we mean and we understand the meaning behind the words that we're saying. Exactly. And again, that's half the battle, man, because there's this funny interplay between definition and connotation when it comes to words. So we have a definition. This is what we'd find in a dictionary, right? This is what the word means. Mm -hmm. But then you get out in the wild and you have conversations with people of all sorts of different backgrounds, linguistic backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, and words have different connotations. They mean different things to different people in different contexts. And so now you could be working with absolute precision when it comes to definition and still miss the mark by not taking into account the level of comprehension of this person that you're speaking to. So this is where the mastery comes in. It's like, yeah, okay, I can shoot an arrow straight when there's no wind, but how do I do when I'm on a boat and there's a crosswind and I'm getting rained on, right? This is the, the joy and the, the joy of developing the art of communication. Wow. I think communication especially. So this is a thought that immediately popped in my mind. I'm just going to share it. And I remember talking with someone and they said, if you look at some of the most advanced or advanced societies in today's world, and you look at their language, oftentimes it's pretty high up on how complex it is to learn, right? So as you begin learning, let's say English, Chinese, those are two that are very hard to learn. You're able to deliver with more clarity because you have more words, I guess, and you also have more meanings and more ways to convey a message to someone else. I don't know. It, what are your thoughts kind of on that idea that I just threw out there? That's a really interesting one too, because English and, and Mandarin particularly are yeah. two of the most widely spoken languages across mm -hmm. the world. And yet they come from distinctly different linguistic origins. Exactly. We think about the symbology that is used in the Chinese characters, those actually find themselves rooted in the natural world. If we go back to the ancient forms of Chinese uh, calligraphy, you would see references to the sun, to the moon, to rain, to plows, to animals, to bodies, standing, laying down. There's actually an encoding of the natural world in that symbology so that the meaning itself was not just symbolic in terms of it existing in our minds as a symbol, but it was literally encoded in the symbol itself. Very, very powerful. And we, we see this in ancient Semitic languages mm -hmm. before the Greek alphabet came to be as well. And English is not like that at all, not even remotely close. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, and I, and I don't have a really clear answer of this, but I do wonder if the level of comprehension and the means of comprehension, like the actual method of thought and understanding would have been different for a society that was 
working with a language set and a symbol set that was still referential to the living world. What would that have been like if sun actually looked like sun when you wrote it and not just some scribbles on a page? You know, we're actually making reference to this lived world, keeping us in the present moment. And whether or not that would have supported maybe a higher level of intellect or a higher level of wisdom, or perhaps it itself, this genuinely referential symbolic system set for language is indicative of a greater wisdom already. And that we've sort of impoverished ourselves using this phonetic and alphabetic language. I'm not totally sure, but it might be the case. That's an interesting thought. So I'm going to kind of, I guess, switch, switch a little bit. It, it's kind of playing on what we have. So now in the world we live in today, we have something called social media where texting, all these things where we have instant access to everyone. We can communicate with literally anyone if we wanted to. And I, I did read a little, like kind of glance over your book you when you gave me a copy. And I'm kind of curious to hear what your thoughts are, of, one, on social media, if it can be good or bad, or we choose whether it's good or bad. And just, yeah, your overall thoughts of what you think it's doing for us. I think the consequences of engaging with the technology set that we call social media is directly a consequence of our intentions on how we apply it. And so for some people, we definitely see negative consequences because it represents a means of self-soothing, a means of seeking gratification, a means of defining who they are. And we see this a lot with, you know, this social media projected narrative. Oh, these influencers, right? There's these personas that are put out there that are not genuinely instantiated in that person, but they're rather a projected and crafted narrative out for the world. That can be very dangerous because it sets up false idols for influential minds to turn to and go, ah, I want to be like this because as humans, we need story. Mm -hmm. We need the narratives that yes. used to come from our ancestors, used to be shared through the rhapsodies and the bards and this cultural continuation of history through story. We crave this as humans. And we find some level of satiation for this need in social media because there are narratives that are either genuinely and intentionally crafted out through posts and videos and things like this, or we end up writing the narratives in our own mind, connecting pieces that might not actually be connected and creating a false understanding of reality. So in that sense, it, it can be very dangerous because ideas are going to be taken in at a greater rate because Lord knows we have it on our phones and we can go anytime, you know, you're on the toilet while well, you're driving or oh, you're at work, here it is, right? Always on these apps. So the availability is one piece and the quality of the narratives is not regulated, which is okay. I, I'm not necessarily saying mm -hmm. that we have to regulate the narratives on social media, but because they're unregulated, we can find ourselves influenced by lesser narratives, lesser quality narratives in a way that can be quite detrimental to our own mental well-being. So that's maybe more of a negative side effect of it. On the positive end, if we treat it like a bridge, 
Now we have a million more doors to knock on, to find connections, to bring better things into the world. As an example, I reached out to you through social exactly. media and through email. Here we are having this conversation and here the listeners are benefiting from an opportunity for two people to explore deeply these types of ideas, all facilitated by this technology. Mm -hmm. If we approach it as a means to an end, a means to find the opportunities to generate genuine human connection, which is maybe having a phone call, making new friends, finding a community and coming back into reality. This is like, let's use it, use the phones to come back into real life and meet somebody. Then we have oh, an almost limitless resource exactly. that can tie people into not only one another in meaningful ways, but also like, you know, this I'm sure already, and the listeners are, are not going to be surprised to hear this, but the opportunity to exchange information across communities in ways that was never possible before. And what this does, and I touch a little bit on it when I go through the work of Jeff Gomez, who's a transmedia expert, talk about him in the book as well, is that now these technologies offer us the opportunity to shape culture in a way that we have never seen before. Vice versa, like we saw with the, the social dilemma, I think is what the movie is mm -hmm. called. We can be shaped by them in really meaningful ways. And so just like I had mentioned taking accountability for the language we put out, we also have to take accountability for our relationship with these narrative generating technologies. I think you're right on. I, so, this is something that I've been thinking about actually quite, quite a lot recently too, and I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. And to kind of build on your point, the rate at which information is uh, coming in is going up very, very fast. And our ability to also consume it is very, very fast as well. We're able, like back in, before I was born, you couldn't just Google and find the answer to your question. But now back, back way back when you had to actually sit down, you had to read a book or you had to go to your library or even worse, right? You had to go talk to someone, right? And go see, Hey, what do you think about this? And with social media, I, I like how you said it's a bridge. It can really, there's a lot of, great opportunities over here, but it, it, there's still a distance between it. And you have to be willing to cross that bridge to be able to understand and uh, actually maximize the full potential I think social media can have. So that, I don't know, is that kind of, uh, that's my understanding of what you said there. Is that right on? Or what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I, for sure, man. Like it's, recognizing it as a tool mm -hmm. and a very, yeah. very powerful and influential one at that. It's not just that we have the opportunity to use it to bridge connections across communities like you and I are doing right now, but that if we are not intentional with our use of it, and we know this, it can be incredibly detrimental. And I, I find for myself that it's detrimental because of the kinds of stories it generates in ourselves. Yes, there's the negative neurophysiological impact of super stimulation of the dopamine system. Andrew Huberman talks about mm -hmm. this a lot in depth in a very powerful podcast on his show. But I draw my attention to what are we saying to ourselves about ourselves or about other people when we're consuming the type of media that we are on these social media platforms. 
how is my understanding, my story of self, my story of life, my story of family, my story of relationships being impacted by the media that I'm consuming on these platforms? And that is one way, asking those types of questions, is one way that we take greater accountability for our language and for our communication. Because if we're not paying attention to the way that our minds are being shaped, the shape of our mind is necessarily going to find its way into our speech. And now we've been influenced subconsciously, unconsciously, in a way that has genuine consequences, not only to ourselves, but also to the people that we're speaking to. It can be very, very powerful. I, I agree. It, it is, again, like with the reach that social media does, it, it can be very, very powerful. And again, to your point, it can also be detrimental. So something that's come up quite recently at the beginning and even now, and I'm going to use this as the intelligent question of the day, but Accountability. I think that is critical in order for you to actually, you know, go out and act, right? You want to act when, I mean, we've, we've been sharing great stuff today, but now the question is, is like, how do we act? And especially when it comes to language and communication, how does one become an exceptional communicator and also be accountable? I think the answer to that question lies inside the question itself, at least to a degree. So the question, how do we become an exceptional communicator? Okay, what does it mean to be exceptional? If we think about an exception to a rule, right? It's the outlier. It's not the common denominator. It's not what most or the majority are doing, but it is a very small minority that are the exception. And so what does common communication look like? If we discover this, then we can start to get an idea of what it means to be exceptional. Well, we see that it's not always intentional. It's not always precise. It's not always compassionate. And it's not always rooted in a desire to connect and to bring forth good into the world. Okay, we can see all the negative consequences that come from this. So if I want to be the exception, it's going to look like bringing a greater deal of awareness to how I speak, why I say what I say, and how I say it. And this can, even at the very simplest, start to elevate the quality of one's communication because where our attention goes, energy flows. And the more aware we are of something, the more capable we become of transforming that in an intentional way. So the first step is to listen to yourself. How am I speaking? What kind of words am I using? Am I cursing a lot? Am I making a lot of you statements about other people versus I statements? Start to investigate and become curious about how you're speaking. And once you've gotten somewhat of a picture of the quality of your current communication state, we'll say, mm -hmm. then I would encourage anyone listening here to apply the three qualities of sovereign speech. And these also are an act of taking accountability. And these three sovereign qualities are truthfulness, compassion, and precision. And if you're curious about learning more about those, you can read about them in my book, but a brief overview, cut out your lies. That's a huge, huge way to ameliorate your, your level of communication and the quality of speech. Ask yourself, 
how is this going to land in someone else's heart and mind when I say it? That's a way to include compassion. And what exactly do I want to say? That's a way that we can increase precision. So that would be my my encouragement for your listeners. I love that. That's the intelligent answer of the day. That's, I mean, you hit it right on the nail. I like, I like your three points that you give for people there. I think that when you focus on those three points, then you can improve as a communicator. And I, I'm sure you can tell as well, I'm trying to improve as a communicator as well. And I appreciate you, Oak, for taking the time to come on today. So you mentioned your book. How do people find it? How do they reach out to you? They loved what they heard today. What's the best way that they can get a hold of you? Beautiful. Well, you can find me on all social media platforms at The Smiling Human. So that's on Instagram and on YouTube and thesmilinghuman.com slash book. You can find links to What in the Word, which is my new book there as well. That's awesome. And that book just came out Sunday, correct? Correct. January 8th. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. I know that putting out a book out is it's not an easy task. I've talked with people that have done it and it's not it's not a easy feat. So congratulations. So Oak, thank you. Thanks so much. Josh. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. So everyone, as you can tell, that is Oak Mountain. He's a very intelligent person, has great things to say. I challenge you guys, if you liked anything you heard today, to reach out to him. I'm sure he'd be happy to chat with you and also to read his book. I got a chance to glance over it and it I'm sure I'm going to be reading the rest of it. It is a fantastic thing and it really makes you think. Stay tuned till next week. We have a great guest lined up for you guys. See you guys next week and let's get after it. Hey everyone, if you liked this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. We release a new episode every Wednesday for you guys to listen to. Thank you guys so much for the support that you give. We could not have done this without you guys. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, check out intelligentconvos.com and fill out the form there. Thank you guys again, and let's get after it.